right, here I am with Peter Kraut. Peter, it's good to see you. Thanks so much for making the time to come on today. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. I uh, look forward to our chat. Me too. Yeah. And uh, it was great seeing you at our events in Vancouver, just shy of a month ago now. Um, and you've been busy. You put out your, your book, which I just received my copy of. Thank you so much. I really wanted to read it in advance of talking to you, but it showed up yesterday, so I'm going to get to it. But I just got to congratulate you on the uh, forward by Ross Beatty, the testimonials by E.B. Tucker and, uh, and Ronald Stofferly, who's a favorite on our channel here. And so, you know, obviously you're in really good company and the book has generated great respect with uh, people of influence. So I want to congratulate you on that. For anybody who's not familiar with you, um, Peter, real quick, who are you and how do you spend your time? So um, I actually am editor of a newsletter, a silver-focused newsletter called Silver Stock Investor. That's part of uh, Resource Maven um, with uh, Gwen Preston, who writes uh, the Maven letter. And we teamed up in mid-2020, um, looked at uh, what, um, first of all, looked at uh, where big potential existed for you know years ahead. Silver was uh, something that uh, was a very quickly realized common denominator for both of us. And then within a question of a few months, uh, launched Silver Stock Investor. Uh, that was January of last year. And we've had great response, very happy with uh, you know how the market has, uh, has taken to it. And within a few months, um, you know, it was a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a dream is to eventually write a book. Um, silver made perfect sense. Um, I, it, you know, it's something I've been uh, researching, writing, and investing in for about two decades already. And um, thought to myself, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, there's really not a whole lot else to do. If there's ever going to be a time for it, this is it. And so I yeah. got right down to it and, yeah. uh, and got going. That's the best way to use that time to create, right? That's, I love that. So the great silver bulls, the name of the book, uh, give us the, the highlight headline, Peter. What do we take away after reading the book? So, um, you know, I think that we are really at uh, the end of a 40-year bull market in stocks and bonds. Uh, I believe that, um, you know, first of all, that's, these are historically long out, outlier um, bull markets in terms of length. And um, if we really are at the end of that, and it certainly looks like it, uh, that there's a shift, I think uh, inflation is going to be part of the investment landscape for probably the next easily five to 10 years, high inflation. Um, and you have to look for alternatives. Uh, and the best way to make money is to look for things that are cheap and highly undervalued um, and will do well in this kind of environment. And silver has proven itself over, you know, multiple times over the years and decades and even millennia as being a store of wealth and uh, a great performer in times of inflation. And so I, I basically give an overview. The book's written in five parts. I talk about the history of silver, why it matters today, uh, why it's irreplaceable in terms of supply demand. And uh, we can get into that a little, maybe a little bit. Uh, it's, uh, it's both a monetary and an industrial metal. Then I talk about what makes silver move, what's particular about uh, the silver market, and then finally, how to invest in silver. Um, any, everything from physical silver all the way down to junior explorers. Let's stick with the uh, monetary and industrial use case for now. And I guess what I want to ask you is, you know, what is driving demand today? And I would say silver is maybe undervalued from just from my perspective alone, undervalued from a monetary standpoint. People understand the industrial application 
but silver is more frequently thought of as an industrial metal compared to gold as a monetary metal. Um, do you agree with that? Do you disagree? And do you think that's going to change in the near term? I agree with it. And I think it's also a fact. I mean, if you look at gold, uh, 8% of gold is used for industrial purposes, whereas for silver, it's 54% used for industrial uh, applications. And the single largest application within an industry is uh, solar. That's 11%. Uh, that takes 11% of the entire annual supply of silver, which is about uh, a billion ounces. So 110 million ounces go to solar alone. And if you look at uh, the International Energy Agency's forecasts within the next eight years, so by 2030, uh, solar um, installations and consumption, um, well, let, let's go with solar installations. They should be up as per forecast. And, and I think that's too aggressive, but still, even if they make it halfway, it's still something mm. uh, to be reckoned with. But that's uh, that solar installations should be up about eight and a half to nine times. So if, if solar alone uses over 10% of the annual supply of silver, and it's supposed to be up by nine times within eight years, technically, according to that, it would consume all the silver supply of every year. So even if it makes it to half of that level, which I think is you know still aggressive, um, silver prices have to go much, much higher. And um, something we haven't accounted for, and uh, a colleague of mine uh, by the name uh, Chen Lin, I believe he spoke at, uh, at your, your recent conference, um, he highlighted how uh, technology in uh, solar panels uh, forecast for higher consumption by about 50% in the next likely technology and by 150% in the technology to follow that. So forecasts are for silver loadings to kind of plateau uh, in other words, the consumption per silver per of silver per solar panel to actually plateau at these levels, but it's likely that silver consumption per panel will rise at the same time as solar insta installations rise. So, I mean, it's just it's just um, you know a parabolic uh, growth trajectory just from that one application. So let me hit you with the uh, the devil's advocate point that I hear most frequently, and I've got an opinion on this question, but I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, yes, I agree with that forecast. If we see eight and a half, nine times increase in solar installations, as one example of the skyrocketing demand from the industrial sector, but we're looking at uh, recession, possible depression, um, that you know a lot of pundits expect to be more dire than uh, recent history. So if that occurs, growth's gonna halt and what's gonna happen to these forecasts of the energy transition and, and our, our bright solar future and how will that impact solar demand? What do you, sorry, silver. I agree. I agree completely. And I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, how silver is unique as both a monetary and an industrial metal. And half of silver, demand goes to anything other than industry. So there are, you know, a variety of applications, but if you look at what those are, really there there's some sort of form of investment. Um, and what's I think also underestimated is how silver demand from silver ETFs, which have really soaked up a lot of uh, silver supply is, uh, is underreported. Um, silver ETFs now account for a billion ounces that are I'm going to say essentially off the market. Uh, that's debatable because they, you know, that that silver can be sold back into the market. But what we've seen since the first uh, silver ETF uh, came to market, that was the SLV, 2006. 
um, there is a, a rising um, sort of a staircase effect in um, the amount of silver that's held in silver ETFs. These, the silver levels in inventory go up, then they'll go sideways, then they go back up, and then they go sideways, and they did just keep climbing. Even when you have periods, in fact, there's a chapter in the book that I call silver is sticky money. And um, I analyzed the chart. It, I was looking at it, you know, about a year ago, and it struck me that I was looking at this chart of, of silver inventories in silver ETFs globally. And it struck me that even when you, because it was, it was plotted against the silver price. So I saw that when there were dramatic drops in the silver price, I said, okay, this is interesting. The inventories in silver ETFs don't drop off. I mean, they do, they will, you know, um, pull back a little bit, but in terms of um, in relation to the drop in a silver price, you know, let's say you could have a 30, 40, 50% drop in the silver price, and yet you'll have maybe a five or 10% drop off temporarily in, in inventories and in silver ETFs. Mm -hmm. So that meant to me, people are buying silver through silver ETFs and essentially they're hanging on to it. I mean, those units will change hands, but the inventories are staying level and or mm -hmm. climbing. There has been no significant drop-offs. So people are buying that silver through ETFs and they're hanging on to it. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a longish answer to your question. If, if you don't mind, um, what we talked about, you were saying, you know, if there is recession, if there's uh, an economic slowdown, that's true. So I have sort of two, I guess, um, points to raise. One is that uh, industrial demand obviously could suffer. However, governments like to stimulate. Uh, their green programs are some of their favorite programs. And so silver is a very important metal in green energy. Look at solar, look at, um, look at uh, EVs, for example, lots of demand there. And uh, I believe that they're gonna continue to promote and push those programs. So that would potentially um, continue to support silver demand. Uh, and what's interesting too, is that when you have those kinds of conditions, people look at silver uh, on the, for its monetary um, characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so I think that industry, industrial demand is likely to keep what I feel is a rising floor under the silver price. And the investment demand is going to be sort of the marginal um, explosive side of the silver price. And that's what could really lead it into, you know, new, much higher levels. Okay. I'm with you. Yeah. And you know what? I, it's the same question and debate when it comes to the copper space, right? Aggressive forecasts, um, you know, bullish demand forecast, but what about this uh, economic stagnation we're maybe driving towards? And, and my thoughts on that are, are, you know, we get kind of narrow-minded when we look at economic growth. We look at the U.S., we look at China, right? And it's like, okay, what's happening in these two economies, which is obviously important. They're enormous, but it would take the entire world to universally agree that we're just going to stop growth today. We're happy and satisfied with where we're currently at, emerging economies included, and no more, let's just halt it here, right? US can slow down, China can slow down, it would make a massive impact. But the healthiest balance sheets are the emerging economies. And look, there's a few billion people that are still living without electricity and they're headed that direction, right? And so the global demand I think is off a lot of people's radars when it comes to this specific debate. Uh, anyways, okay, now you cover something in the book and I only know this, like I said, I haven't read it yet, but um, uh, an important topic. And you said most importantly in the description, when to sell your silver. So I wanna talk about that because it's, in my experience, the harder part of the trade is when you're, you're in a position and you wanna get out, you're holding physical and 
do you want to get out? Like I, you know, so talk to me about, let's, let's start with that. How do you cover when to sell in your book? And uh, let's, let's go there right now. Sure. So um, in the book, I have what I call four silver peak clues. These are, I'm going to say, obviously, none of it's going to be conclusive. It's always difficult to, to pick a, an exact top, just like it's difficult or impossible to pick an exact bottom. But if you look at these um, different indicators, and let's say, you know, three or all four are flashing sell uh, at the same time, then odds are it's probably a good time to sell. And, and I also talk about how to sell. So that's a, that's a sort of a, a sideline topic as well. But the four clues are FOMO. So if fear of missing out, if you see that we've gotten to a point where people just have to have silver, it's, it's all they're talking about, you know, silver prices have run up, um, you have lineups for people to buy physical silver, um, then, and, and, and there's a, you know, analogy 1980, uh, late 79, 1980, when silver peaked, you had people lining up for blocks. This was January in the Northern hemisphere. It was, it was the middle of the winter. And yet people were lining up for blocks to buy some physical silver. So that was one indicator. Silver, you know, ultimately peaked at $50 in 1980. You've got the gold silver ratio, which bottomed in uh, 1980 at 15. Today we're at 82. Um, you know, that ratio has averaged in the last, say, 20, 30 years, about 55 or, or 60. Uh, ultimately, I think that the ratio will at least get below 30, uh, perhaps down to 15. But if it starts to get at least below 30, time to pay attention, watch for um, a potential peak in the silver price. <clears throat> You've got the Dow silver ratio. <clears throat> and the best analog we have is the 1970s again, when we had a secular bull market in silver. That ratio had what I call two downward waves in the first half of the 70s, and then again in the second half of the 70s. And so um, I don't remember offhand the exact level that it bottomed at, but um, if you see that kind of action in the ratio where you see uh, a run downwards, that means that the silver price is basically gaining dramatically against the Dow, the, the Dow index. Yeah. So if you get that kind of action, Again, that's kind of a peak to look at, uh, a potential peak for, for silver prices. And finally, the silver to real estate ratio. Mm. So in 1980, um, about 1,500 ounces would buy you the average U.S. home. Today, it takes about 18,000 ounces of silver to buy the average U.S. home. So the forecast is, let's say, um, at, at current prices, the average U.S. home is about $500,000 U.S., the ratio 18,000 ounces of silver to buy uh, your average US home. If you see that ratio eventually fall, it may not bottom again at, you know, this, this is just looking back at history, but if it were to get considerably low, let's say 3,000 ounces of, of silver to buy the average US home, um, perhaps even down to 15,000 ounce, 1,500 ounces, then you'd be, uh, you'd have your fourth indicator that uh, silver is, you know, has just gotten way too expensive. You know, Time to buy versus... home. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Time to sell your silver and buy, buy yourself a home. Exactly <laughs> right. All right, got it. Okay, last question, Peter. Talk to me about your portfolio. Where have you put cash? Where are you looking to put cash? So, um, you know, one, one place uh, for cash, I think, you know, the interesting thing about silver is that, uh, it remains relatively cheap compared to many assets. It's a hard asset. And these days, that's certainly somewhere where you'd want to focus. 
Um, so physical silver is one way. Um, silver ETFs, my, my favorite in that camp is easily the uh, PSLV, the Sprott Silver ETF. And I've told subscribers that, uh, you know, with premiums on silver coins these days, um, really close to double what they normally are, uh, one way around it would be to buy a silver ETF, wait for premiums to come back down, because as a silver ETF, you're going to buy close to spot, just maybe, you know, a percent or a few percent above spot. So that's one way you could sit in there and wait until premiums come back down to normal. And when they do, and you want more physical, actual physical, you could actually sell some of that, um, some of that silver ETF holding and switch it to physical. From there, I'm looking at, um, I'm going to see the best value is, um, in fact, it's really, it really is across the board. Uh, we've seen uh, sell off in everything from, you know, the uh, royalties and uh, streaming companies and the large producers all the way down to the explorers. So what I would be doing at this point is looking for um, the companies that are well-managed, uh, well-capitalized, uh, have people with a great track record. Um, one of my filters is how much silver they either have or produce. A lot of um, silver companies or companies with silver in their name um, aren't really silver companies. They will quote in silver equivalents when they're actually base metal companies. Mm -hmm. So my filter is at least 40% um, silver content or silver revenues by production. And from there, um, you know, layer in. Uh, we're getting to the point mid-June is seasonally. Uh, sorry, late June is seasonally where you hit a low in the silver uh, price. And so um, we're getting close. Um, in terms of at least seasonally, historically, when it's time to, to be the best time of the year to buy silver, um, silver and silver investments. So uh, yeah, I think just layer in, um, look for companies that fit those criteria and buy gradually. Don't dump, uh, you know, whatever amount you want to allocate to a specific company. Uh, give yourself a question of weeks, months, and buy it in two or three tranches. And that's one way to, uh, to mitigate your risk. Love it, man. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Once again, it's The Great Silver Bull. I'll promote your book all day long. Uh, where can I send people to pick it up? Um, Amazon, available Amazon. in Kindle Easy. or paperback. Exactly. Best way. Okay. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.